Friends, welcome to the Ransom Tart Podcast. I'm John Eldridge, and happy summer to you. Hope you are enjoying these summer months. We did a conference back in March called The Restoration of the Heart, where Dan Allender and I spent two days basically sharing our combined 60 years of experience working with people to share what we think is necessary for human hearts and human lives to be restored. What we want to do with you in the next two podcasts is to share with you the opening session. It's entitled, Assumptions We Are Making. And in this session, Dan and I are laying out some of the basic convictions we have about what is necessary for change. We thought we would handle this session by going back and forth and talking about some of the assumptions that we are operating from and on as we move into the material. Some of the things we'll say will be kind of foreshadowing of where we're going, um, and some of it is sort of contextual that will give you sort of, oh, okay, this is where they're coming from. This is kind of some of the core um, assumptions that, that we're making Uh, And so we thought that that would be probably the most valuable place to start this morning. So, Dan? Well, the first assumption uh, is one that, at one level, we could cover in about 10 seconds, uh, and that is we are at war. And if you need to be convinced that you live in a war and that you are at war, uh, in, in one sense, all one would need to do is to tune in to one of the so-called debates, uh, and the acrimony, the polarization, the schism. Uh, The fact is you can find that level of contempt and violence simply by checking on to the internet and listening to people interact about almost any topic. I mean, we live in a world where road rage, uh, as it might have been 10 years ago, rare, Uh, The reality is you can't ride on the roads without a sense of there is violence in the air. There is a kind of acrimony and distance and division and heartache that's there for virtually all people who are honest. Anyone who knows that the world is full of refugees and exiles uh, and that the reality is that wherever there are weak there will be violence against them. Wherever there are the other, someone different than us, they will often become the one that we use to expiate a lot of our own unfaced and unaddressed anger and hurt. We simply live in a wild, crazy world. Some simple fact as a recent study was done uh, where 89% of high school girls by the year, uh, their senior year would say that they had experienced sexual harassment significant enough to have in some ways impeded their ability to be educated. 68% of men in that same survey had said that they had been sexually harassed. So between division in families, between division and almost all relationships, I mean, one of the hardest things to name, and it will be for many of us, is that we live in a world of war where we're not just at war with those around us or cultural uh, or or societal or country divisions and wars. 
But the reality is we are in a war, not just around us, but at least the claim we're asking you to consider is that we are in a war within us. And we're going to use two words on and off, and that is the word wounding and the word brokenness. And in many ways, though as powerful words in and of themselves, woundings are an experience where someone has pierced you. You know those moments where just an off-handed remark that probably was not intended to be harmful was taken in by you as hurtful, and it felt exposing, it felt demeaning, uh, you felt some level of shame in the middle of that, and that experience of being wounded uh, they can be just daily small cuts that over a thousand piercings end up literally being a stabbing. Uh, and there are other moments in which it's not a thousand little cuts. You know when somebody intends to simply harm you. And those moments of woundings are profound. But we'd also use the word brokenness. And that word implies something in you has been shattered, crushed. And those moments can overlap, they can be different, but the bottom line is you know when your spirit has been taken out, whether that's an experience of depression or profound anxiety or just a sense of emptiness where there's not a lot of ability to anticipate, to hope, and to be able to move forward. The reality is almost every day, bears that intersection of war we're in and war we encounter in our own hearts. And that piercing, that crushing, uh, that does work within us that really distances us not only from God, from one another, but the reality of what our own heart most deeply desires. So to say we are at war, we are at war. As if we needed to tell any of you any of that. Um, Another assumption, however, that we're making um, is that restoration is available. And I'd like to say a few words by precursor of what we mean by restoration. Because of the reality, um, your soul does not inhabit the environment that it was made for Your soul was made for an atmosphere of joy and love and intrigue and curiosity and adventure every day of your life. Your soul was literally created for paradise. It was created for those those few moments that you get, maybe you're on vacation or maybe you're with a dear one and there's just those moments where everything is great. Your soul is literally made to live in that always. And we don't. And harm, harm comes in all sorts of forms to us. And because that's true, taking soul care, taking the restoration of your heart seriously is probably the most important thing you could ever do. The reason being that everything else you want in this life, whether it is to experience love and intimacy or it is adventure or creativity or 
finding your unique place in the world and the impact you were meant to make, well, that, that all waits on the restoration of your heart and soul. Like you, you can't live, you can't love, you can't even sleep well at night without the restoration of your soul. And I think this is what Jesus meant when he was saying, like, well, what would you give in exchange for your soul, right? What could you possibly do? What does it profit a man if, or woman if they gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Okay, what would, what would it matter if you had all that? And I love the way Peterson translates that in the message if he says, and you lose the real you. You lose the real you. And, uh, and therefore, restoration. I broke this arm when I was in high school um, in martial arts, and it's not broken anymore. I get to use it every day. And I was in a pretty serious motorcycle crash in those years as well and had a number of stitches in my leg, and I don't even think about that anymore. You probably cut yourself sometime in the last year, And if you look down at your hand or your leg or your arm, you realize, wow, it's gone. The world is filled with metaphors and illustrations of God's commitment to restoration, how deeply he's committed to it. Some of you uh, either living here certainly remember, may have watched the news reports if you've come in from other states of the wildfire that swept through the hills west of us a couple of years ago, Um, and we live on the edge of the forest, and we watched the devastation, and I love to hike in the forest, and um, I would hike there after the fire, and it it was just devastation. I mean, everything was gone. Everything was torched. Even the rocks, some of the rocks were broken open by the heat of the wildfire, And uh, I just got tired of it. I got tired of wandering in a dead world. And so I stopped going um, until the following year. And and I even kind of waited until I passed spring and I got into summer. And just sort of out of curiosity, I wanted to know. And I climbed the hill behind our house and I went up on the bluffs behind us where the fire had ravaged. (laughs) I was dumbfounded. I I was absolutely speechless. There were grasses that were high as my waist, as far as the eye could see, and they were blowing in the wind. And there were more wildflowers than I had ever seen before in my hikes up there in the last 20 years. I mean, just penstemon and sunflowers and asters. I mean, it it looked, it looked like a painting. It looked like somebody let one of the Impressionists loose on the hillside, right? I mean, God's commitment to restoration, friends. One of our core assumptions that, is that while God cares very much about creation and the earth and human cultures, he cares about the arts and the sciences, he cares most deeply about your heart and your soul. It is as the center of his work and mission. In Isaiah 61, which is the passage that Jesus chose to kind of announce his mission or his purpose to the human race, 
he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Meaning, I have come to restore your humanity. You matter to me deeply, Jesus says. And I am fiercely committed to the restoration of your being. I want to restore your soul, and I want to be able to release your heart from every form of captivity or oppression or darkness. It's just extraordinary. And so what we mean by restoration is that the wounds and the brokenness and the harm that we have received over the course of our lives and the ways in which they hobble us, they hamstring us, they hinder us from loving and living and joy and life, those things can be substantially healed. Dan and I, um, I know Dan for a long, long, long time, um, and I would, first in the context, I was a student of Dan's <clears throat> in my 30s, but, but our friendship really began um, around the context of the death of a dear friend of ours. And um, you've read about that in both of our writings and heard us speak about that. Um, you know, to lose someone you love in a violent accident is a, is a heart-breaking experience. And, and for years, it was difficult to even talk about it. Um, but I, I can stand here before you today and say, um, not anymore, not anymore. I, I can talk about it. I can go there. We reminisce without pain. Like restoration is possible. I grew up in an alcoholic home and all of just the crazy making thing that that does to a child and and all the skills of, you know, survival that you learn as a result of that. And there were a number of years into my adult life that that continued to shape me pretty profoundly, particularly the commitment to independence. Like, I was fiercely committed to independence, and that kind of gets in the way of living and loving and experiencing joy, and and yet here we are. (laughs) I don't like that life anymore. I don't want that life anymore. Like, that's, that's pretty well healed. That's pretty well gone, and I could tell you a hundred other examples. These are just pictures of restoration is available. Now, I'm going to put a couple slides up because I think what most people um, conceive of when we talk about restoration, they they think of it as in an all or nothing affair, right? You you, you just kind of go from total emptiness to total filling or total brokenness to total restoration, right? People, you know, like, oh, I'm restored. I'm good. And it's like, that's not particularly helpful, actually. What, What I'd rather do is describe through the weekend what we're talking about is a process of restoration whereby more and more of us is more and more restored. Memories, life events, things that have deeply harmed us over time 
and, and certainly we hope through the resources of this weekend especially, more and more and more, we, we literally become wholehearted beings. We, we literally are, are reintegrated as a human personality. More and more of us is more and more whole. Well, the fact is, as true as it is because we can see it in nature, I mean, looking at your backyard and seeing what it was like after the burn and then seeing the restoration. And where I fish in Montana uh, had a huge fire in about 1988, and we began fishing there about 1991. So since 91, every year I go back to this one river and to watch the restoration, slow, progressive, but at one level incredibly surprising. The fact is, we know that in our lives, we've seen restoration, because not only is it part of the world around us God has built to create this restoration process, but we all know that we have been ill and we have gotten better. Our bodies are an amazing gift of restoration. There's a natural homeostatic movement of the body to become more and more and more whole, But what does it require of you to participate in that wholeness? It isn't passive, meaning things don't just happen out there, especially with regard to the human heart. Uh, There has to be some play you bring to this whole process. And there are four words I want you to have in mind. These are categories not so much to use as a litmus test to measure yourself. These are more categories to be saying, this is what I want as part of the process of being restored. It is not only the end, the telos, but it's also the means by which we get to that place of restoration. And really the first category is the word courage. I mean, you will not grow in this world without courage. Uh, And to simply remind you that the word courage comes from the French word cour for heart. Simple as that is, I I still am stunned for how many people in our world don't really take their own heart seriously. To have an actual focus that you have a heart And that this thing beating uh, about one kilogram here, 2.2 pounds, this is, this is the heart, but this is not my heart. As Lewis said, when he was speaking about the nature of reality, he said, everything you see is but shadowlands. So when we speak about the heart and we say, this is my heart, this is the metaphor, There is something about me. I have a heart. You have a heart. And so to take seriously, you have a heart. And it is just like your face, unlike any other heart in the world. There is no one like you, no face like yours, no body like yours. So for you to honor the courage to enter into this process means at core you have chosen to say you have a unique heart, uniquely woven, written by God, and that that gift of your heart will last from this life into the next. Your very being is something you must take courageously, the commitment to say, I want restoration. For anyone to say, I'm already there, or even close to it, is to actually lose your heart. 
to deny what your heart can become. Can we be restored? Yes, and yet the paradox of restoration is that you will see in being restored that there is so much more room for you to become like Christ and therefore even greater restoration. So the paradox of having a courageous heart is that it requires you to be able to admit things, second word, that are not lovely, not good, not kind, about the nature of your own heart. We need honesty. We are not going to grow individually or corporately unless we can admit in many ways that we are this remarkable paradox play of deep, deep wounding and brokenness. And yet, because we're made in the image of God, we are glorious. Each and every one of us reveal something about the very nature of God that nobody else can on this earth in the way that you can. So for you to be honest about um, how easily we self-deceive, how easily we self-justify, how we want to explain away our own failures. And if that's accurate, another strong sentence for you just to hold is how much we work to escape the harm of the world that we live in, our own past, our own parents, our own parenting. It is so easy to cover over to whitewash the realities of our own brokenness and to presume we are far more whole or at least to pretend in the presence of others that we are far, far more whole than indeed we are. The honesty intersects with that kind of courage. But third, we have to have a heart that's willing to persevere, to have a heart that's willing to continue to say, I will tenaciously not relinquish when I'm discouraged, or when I feel thwarted, or something just doesn't work about the process that we're inviting you to, there has to be that kind of, I will knock on that door again and again and again and again. One of the greatest ways I see evil working against us is the loss of hope, where our hearts learn over seasons that we've seen restoration here and here and here, but not in this most vital core relationship or in my body in terms of this disease process. All of us have areas in our life that are not restored yet, and it brings us questions, really deep questions about the goodness of God or or about whether we're doing it right or or whether or not there's any hope whatsoever for real significant change. So the bottom line is tenaciousness is where we live out honesty and courage. And really the fourth word is a very simple one, and that is we must become wiser men and women. Wise in the conviction that there really aren't simple processes to bring about restoration. There there aren't any kinds of simple, if you do these three things, things will work for you. We have got to escape a culture that demands control by being able to quantify change in four easy steps. 
is a way of saying virtually anybody who writes four steps, seven steps, 12 steps may have somewhat comprehended how life is meant to be, but they have not offered us a harder direction. And that direction is the path of wisdom. You develop wisdom by suffering and being faithful in the process to continue a path that honors the reality of the goodness of God. So we're not going to be offering you simple solutions that are doable by everyone at the same level through the same process with all people at all times. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. But therefore, it requires you to be willing to lose control, mastery, and to be willing to start again as a beginner, to start again trying, failing, and then learning in the midst of that. That's the interplay of what we're required to be. Mm. That, that is really good. <laughs> I, I mean, just you're, you're listening to content, you're taking some notes, but pay attention to what your soul is doing with this. Like as we, as we move through this, like pay attention. How, like how does your heart react? We need courage. We need honesty. We need tenacity or perseverance. And we need to come out of our naivete, right? Like, and just to watch. Just to give up control for like 20 minutes. Watch what, watch what your soul is doing with that. That as I was fascinated to watch my own. Um, <laughs> I know all of that to be true. I, I was actually trying to control from like pounding on the tail. And, yes, yes. So that I didn't distract from what you were saying. But um, honestly, two things were going on inside me. Um, there was this thing that just went, dang, I wish it didn't have to be that yeah, way. Me too. Right? Yeah. Right? I just wish it didn't have to be that way. But, but there was this deeper reality that went, I want that. I'm in. We're going to pause right here and pick it up next week in a second part of this podcast. But if you're interested in the Restoration of the Heart Conference, we've just released the video and audio of the two-day conference with Dan Allender and myself on a flash drive. And you can get that at ransomedheart.com.